Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. So uh, here's the deal with spring cleaning. Uh, recently, I've started to get into that mode uh, around our house and finding some rooms that I really want to be reclaimed, and I actually have some other rooms that I want to reclaim yet still. But here's what I know about spring cleaning. Spring cleaning, it's one of those things where once you start to dive into it, you start to clean up things that have kind of been left dormant for a little while. I don't know about you, and maybe I'll be too transparent, but I'll just be cleaning and, and scrubbing something down, and I'll just start to like, be mad at myself. Like, how do you live like this? You know, I'm like yelling at myself. It's like, you just, you just let people sit here, you know? And uh, so I just get all worked up because you just don't realize when you do spring cleaning, you don't realize often how much stuff has come in, how much stuff has gotten away. And, and the other thing, don't even ask me about my garage. If you visit our home, I will not show you our garage. I will do everything I can. Because right now, our garage is like the place where things go to be forgotten. And so our garage, we will not be able to fit a car now or maybe ever into our garage. But in the garage, we got boxes upon boxes. And here's the deal. We moved like what, like two and a half years ago or something. And there are still boxes from our move unpacked inside of that garage. It's terrible. It's a horrible thing. If you, I might as well put a little PSA out there. Hey, if you like get joy, you know, if you, if it sparks joy in you, <laughs> to, to, to clean out garages? Hey, you know, holla. So uh, anyhow, so I'm going to have to do that eventually. But, but spring cleaning is all about kind of just getting under and getting out and separating and seeing what's there. And, and most of the time, if you ever do it, whether it be your, your own, own room, your own house, or, or your own garage, if you do it, you'll find that you'll say, man, how in the world did I let that build up? How did that get there? Oh, don't, don't even mention trying to uh, wash your windows. And you, you scrub your windows on the inside, and uh, you look at their window, and you're like, it's still really dirty. And so then you got to figure out a way to climb a ladder or get outside and scrub the other side. But you don't even realize how much better your circumstance would be if you had a full cleansing until you have a full cleansing. And so for the next few weeks, what I want to walk us through is biblically, how does that process work and how does it benefit us? How does it, quote unquote, spark joy, as one uh, TV uh, host right now is popular for? How does that all happen? Well, it happens because we need true cleansing. We don't need a lot of other things that we substitute it for. And so today we're going to go to a place, Psalm 51, where we find an example, and we're going to pick this apart the next couple of weeks, but where we find the, uh, a biblical example of genuine, true cleansing that makes our life that much better. Psalm 51, today we're going to read one through six, and then we'll break it apart. It says this, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to explain it, and then we'll pick it apart. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast what? judgment, anger, bitterness, rage. Have mercy on me, God, according to your what? Your love, your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. 
I've got a feeling there's some people in this room that would say, I've been coming to church, and I'm a Christian, and I try to do right. But I haven't been able to blot out some of my past transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me. Everybody say cleanse. Cleanse Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. Can I get an amen there? You know your stuff, right? For I know, that's right. Other people tell you and you're like, bro, (laughs) you don't know the half of it. I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Without you, God, my, my sin is everywhere. I just see it everywhere, everywhere I look. You ever clean your house and then suddenly the thing that annoys you most is you left a streak or you missed a spot or you could still see some dirt in the corner? Some of you are nervous giggling. You're just like, have you been talking to my wife? So against you, verse four, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless. Talking to God, God, you're right about me and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth. Everybody say truth. Truth. Oh, there's nothing more freeing in the human soul than truth. You delight in truth. In where? The inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You see, a lot of us, we we don't fully grasp the idea of a cleansing or where it comes from or how to do it or why would it bring joy to me. We, 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 we don't understand all of that. And so it's easier either to live with all of the dirt and debris and the, the, the garbage that keeps piling up in the garage or ignore it or shut a door and don't let visitors see. But man, don't make me face it. Don't, don't, don't make me look at it. Don't make me open that door. Don't make me not sweep and then mop and then sweep and then mop again. Don't make me look at my brokenness because of delayed adolescence for some of us. I don't want to. It's not fun. I want to do what's fun. You see, Psalm 51 is considered a model prayer for repentance. If you're writing uh, notes today, Psalm 51 is a beautiful place to go if you want to know how you or anyone else should repent. 
How, what does it mean to have a full repentance, a, a full ownership of behavior, a full accounting, a full desire to be made right, move forward? Psalm 51 is kind of it. It's like you and I, you may not realize it, but what you want someone to say to you when they've offended you and hurt you, when they've, they've committed an act against you and they're trying to become right again, you actually want them to say in their own words, Psalm 51. You, you want them to bring it up to light. You want them to acknowledge that you're just and you're up, being upset. You want them to say, hey, truth is good, and I'm glad we could get the truth out. You want that because you as the person, the party who was hurt or offended, you need to hear that to know that there's been contrition on the other side. And so you and I, when we ourselves are the offending party, we need to learn the Psalm 51 approach because that helps us. That's our guide. That's our roadmap. That's our tracks to be able to get to restitution and reconciliation. Get to fullness, health again. And so Psalm 51 is considered the model prayer for that reason of, of repentance. Along with Psalm 32, it was written by David after his affair with Bathsheba. And his murder of her husband, Uriah, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. <clears throat> so if you want to look up later and do some side study on this, um, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, the chapters, go in and just read what was going on there. And it was this dude who did all of this. Now, to fast forward for you, essentially, David is in charge. He's a king. He's got it going on. And uh, he looks down. He's out looking over his kingdom. Look how awesome I am. Look how great I am. Look how smart I am. Look how powerful I am. And, and, and nobody, nobody has it like I have it. And he's looking out, and he sees this uh, naked woman who's bathing, sunbathing. And he looks down. And he says, with every person who feels like they got it all together and they're the most powerful one, says, I want that. I don't have it. I can't have it. But I need something to prove my power. So I want that. And so in his quest for, for lust, in his quest, not just for lust in the meaning of sex, but lust in the meaning of more, in his quest for that, he says, I want that. I want one more. I want one more woman. I want one more nightstand. I want one more act of, of sexual promiscuity. I want one more of something. I want that one. In the meantime, just as a side note, just to sidestep and talk for a second, he didn't care about the, the, the human dignity and the deity that's inside of her, the idea that she is made in the image of God. He, he didn't care about that he's supposed to treat her as a sister or a mother. He didn't care about that. What he cared about was, I want something now. And so he decided he'll take it. And so he summons and he moves on and there's this dance and ultimately, you know, oh, there's this dude, you're right. Oh, so he's in, he's in my military. I know what I'll do. I'm going to put him out there at the front of battle to war, even though I, as the leader, am supposed to be out there, but I'm back here uh, shacking up with people. Um, here's the deal. I'm going to go ahead and put him on the front lines. And so that's what happened. Uriah dies. So in the middle of all of this, you have God who had anointed David. And then to David's 
credit, he begins to realize how horrendous the sin was to God. He blames no one but himself, and he ultimately begs for God's forgiveness. Let's look at it and ask ourselves, how, how do we have some spring cleaning in our soul? It says, have mercy on me. Everyone say mercy. Mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. If you're writing notes, write this down. It's God's love that gives mercy to clean out our sin. It is God's love that provides the mercy to clean out your sin, to blot out your sin. Where does it come from? It comes from his love and his mercy that allows him to do it. You see, we, we come to God and we say, God, I need your mercy. Whenever you confess sin, whenever you confess what you need to be cleansed, whenever you come to God in repentance, in a right heart, what you're saying is, God, I need your mercy. Now, you need to have a side note if you haven't learned it yet, but mercy and grace are two words. Mercy is, is not getting the punishment you do deserve. That's what mercy means. Mercy means you, you are absolutely found guilty. You absolutely deserve a punishment. And God's mercy is that he does not give you that which you've earned. And grace is that he gives you something positive that is unearned. So, so mercy is earned punishment that's avoided. Grace is unmerited favor. It's unearned favor on your life. So God's grace flows when you haven't done anything, but you've received a blessing. And the problem is we often confuse the two in our arrogance because we often say, well, I'm being blessed right now because God knows I've earned it. And my friends, grace means that God provides a blessing that you didn't earn from him. He's just a great, loving God. It's just who he is. It's in his character. And so he gives generously to you, even if you haven't earned it. Now, mercy is, Tala, you have certainly earned. You have certainly earned disillusion from your family. You've certainly earned scorn and shame and punishment. You've earned this. You've earned the right for someone to not want to be your friend. You have earned, you have earned, you have earned all of these negative things. However, I, God, in my sovereignty, in my love, in my mercy, you come to me for mercy. I'm going to give you love. I'm going to give you love instead. So we, we, we see David, he comes and he says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your mercy, blot out my transgressions. It's God's love that gives mercy to clean out our sin. When you come to God for mercy, what you're going to receive is his love. You know the irony to all this? The irony is that you can't get people to confess sin because they believe they're going to go to God who is not going to love them anymore. As a pastor, I'm like, no, you're, you got it all wrong. Like, like tell God. 
Tell God your brokenness. Tell God your sin. Tell God where it hurts. Tell God what you did wrong. Will he be mad at me? He might not like me. No, no, no. He will love you. Because it's his love that activates his mercy over you. It's his love that says, I'm not going to give you the just punishment you've earned here. And because of this misunderstanding, we have so many Christians who instead are not cleaning out their closet. They're not cleaning out their sin. They're doing other things. And these other things fall short. And then they say, God, why are you falling short? He says, I'm not falling short. Like, if you just do the process, just come to me and ask for mercy. I'll give you love. I'll blot it out. I'll forget it. We'll quit having the conversation. Do you know what it means when God blots out your transgression? To blot out, my, my wife works at a law firm. When they blot out something in a document, whoop, it's gone. We're not carrying that sentence over into the next document. If we talk about this matter again, we're not going to talk about that sentence anymore. Why? We've blotted it out. But you won't allow yourself to get to the place to where your sin is blotted out before God because instead of coming to him for mercy to receive his love, you have decided to do something different with your sin. You do what we do at our house. We make a dumb, dumb purchase somewhere. You know, saw an infomercial walking through Target, which is like a death trap to your money. And you look up and you're just like, oh, I saw that one night at 2 a.m. when I should have been asleep. That looked awesome. I'm going to buy that thing. Then you get it home. It has hardly no practical purpose. You use it one time and you're just like, well, oh, awesome, great. And then it goes in a drawer and then eventually the drawer gets too full. So you take that drawer and you're like, okay, well, what will I do with this drawer? Well, I'll put it in a box and then I'll put this box in my garage. And you're like, I cleaned up. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's like, I, I need something different because if I do it my way, my sin is ever before me. I, I need, my, I need my, my, my transgressions wiped out. You know what confession is? Confession is when we come writing out our sin before God. And he flips the pencil over and he uses the eraser. True confession is when you go before God and you write out your sin. In his mercy, in his love for you, he flips over your pencil and says, Tolly, my son paid that for you.
all I see is a blank page here. Would you like to start again? But because of childhood and background and experiences that were bad for you, you believe your sin is marked and etched in stone. You believe about yourself that God gets some kind of joy to sit on a cosmic kingdom chair and points to the tablets that have all of your sin and say, don't you ever get joyful. Have you seen that? Don't you ever believe you can teach someone else about the gospel? Have you seen that about yourself? Don't you ever call sin, sin? Because if you do, I'll remind you of yours. So we live in a world where even Christians are still holding on to all their stuff and they don't know what grace feels like. And let me tell you, friends, if you don't know what grace and mercy feels like over your own soul, you have no ability to give it out to anyone else. Because you have no clue what those words mean. And unfortunately, Christianity is not perfected using a dictionary. Christianity is perfected through friendship, through relationship. Your relationship with God and your relationship with others. You cannot read your way to heaven. Your soul has so many layers to it, so many hues of colors of the rainbow, that you can't just point to a tablet of stone and say, well, when I was 16, I did that. When I was 27, that's what I did. And oh yeah, last week, that's what I did. There's the record. I suck at life. So who am I to try to stand on any moral ground? Who am I to try to lead people towards Jesus? Who am I to try to stand up for what's right? And you haven't experienced mercy and grace and love and forgiveness and the eraser of God blotting out your transgression. If you write this down, true cleansing involves confessing, not coping. True cleansing involves confessing, not coping. You see, I learned this lesson as a, a young married man. Give some advice to you that are not yet married. So help you out. We all learn from smacking into a brick wall. It can either be your head that did it or someone else's. So take a lesson from someone else's head hitting the brick wall. I... Uh, I would find myself, and I still do from time to time, but for the sake of me being a pastor and pretending that I have no flaws, I'll just say, this happened long ago. I'm being facetious. So I, I will come and I'll just be like, babe, did you notice that I cleaned the house? And my wife, sitting very unimpressed, but kind of delightfully amused like a kitten hitting a ball of yarn. We'll go, oh, you cleaned the house. 
And I'll be like, yeah, like there was stuff on the tables and like there was stuff over on the counters and like, yeah, like I, I swept up a little bit. Like, babe, look around, like you're welcome. And this has been a problem for me, but I think she's right. She says, Tolly, that's, that's not really called cleaning. That's called picking up. She's like, cleaning is like when you actually, I don't know, clean things. You, you, you sweep, but then you like, get a rag and some spray and, and you don't, you clean. <laughs> and I'm like, you ungrateful bride of mine, you know, like, but she's right in that sense. And she's going to play this video back for the rest of my life. <laughs> but she's right. Like, like it's, it's not cleaning. It's just moving objects around the house. Putting stuff in the garage didn't really clean my home. It just moved the debris to a different part of my home where people see it less. And so what we do with our lives is instead of going to God and saying, God, I need your mercy, blot out my transgression. What we do is that's called confession. What we do is we cope. We try to manage the sin. We try to dance around it. We try to put it in a spare room or a spare drawer and hide it from our guests because we don't want to look undignified. Never mind, we have a garage full of stuff or a junk drawer that has stuff in it from six years ago. So we don't clean, we just cope. So cleaning sin means you can't do that. You need God to do that for you. You need to experience mercy and grace. And, and, and you do that through repentance. And you do that by being honest because he loves truth. And so you say, God, I, I, here's where I am. And here's what I've done. And here's who I am because of it. And as a result, God, I need your forgiveness. I don't feel the forgiveness because I haven't come to you and asked for it. And so I'm being upset that I don't feel forgiven. But the truth is, I haven't come to you to really confess it for what it is. And so I need to clean this. I need to be cleansed from this. Most people just pick up the mess of their sin. They just pick up after it. But they don't necessarily confess. They don't ask the Lord for complete cleansing. They, they, don't ask, they don't confess to their brothers and sisters in the faith. They don't say, hey, can you hold me accountable to this? This is something I want to do and I want to live a more pure life. Can you watch this about me? And I trust you that you love me and you love what God's doing in my life so I can be honest with you. I'm not saying you go around randomly and pick somebody in the theater and say, hey, uh, yeah, can you hold me accountable for this? Like, no. In fact, they probably don't even need to know that you're dealing with it. But you do need someone who knows. You're dealing with a few people. Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Give me a piece, let me give you a piece of advice. Doesn't work. Get out of that intimate relationship and have that, some other person 
help hold you accountable. If you're asking your mate, your spouse, to hold you accountable, you're changing the dynamic of what that relationship is supposed to be. You're supposed to be one. And one doesn't hold an account to one. You bring in someone else and you say, hey, friend, hey, brother, hey, sister. I want to give you permission to talk to me about this thing. Just check on me a couple times. Put it in your Google calendar. Set an alarm. Just reach out to me. Verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. If you're jotting notes, confession cleans up our mess with God above all. Confession cleans up our mess with God above all. You see, almost all sin you will commit Jesus said all, all, almost all sin, apart from sexual sin, is outside the body, meaning that, that almost all sin has an effect on someone else, has an effect on other people. And so almost all sin, you may need to say, I'm sorry I did that to you. I'm sorry I did that in front of you. I'm sorry that what I did caused you pain. And so there is a, a, a repentance that can happen horizontally. But the scriptures are telling us, you know what the most important confession is, the most important repentance is, is to remember that any sin is a sin against God. Some sin may be a sin against people, but all sin is a sin against God. So if you're sinning against a person, you have sinned against an image bearer of God. And therefore, yes, you may owe that person an apology, but you definitely owe the Lord of the universe repentance. And so you and I, we have to get in the habit of saying, you know what? Confession and repentance and renewal. Confession, repentance, renewal. Confession, repentance, renewal. Treat it like a wash machine in your life. Confession, repentance, renewal. Confess. Say it with me just for fun. Confession, repentance, renewal. Confession, repentance, renewal. See, I go to God. God, I confess this. I repent of it. I'm turning away. And I'm going to walk out of this situation renewed in my spirit. I am not a dead person. I am not a, a down person. I'm not a person that needs to stay on the mat on my back. I can get up. I can move forward. I can come just like everybody else with boldness and confidence and grace before the throne. You know why? Because I is forgiven. And since I is forgiven, I don't need, look at this. When I've had true confession, true repentance, true renewal, do you know what I all of a sudden don't need anymore? Your approval. And some of us, some of us are stuck because you're, you've done some business with God. You know that that's wrong. You know that that's not who you want to be. You know that you've set up a, some accountability in your life. You know you're on the right track now. But you seem to not be able to believe you're forgiven because you're still looking at a person to provide for you what your Father in heaven has already given you. And so just because a broken, sinful human can't see past your sin does not mean the God of the universe has not gotten over your sin. If you have made things right with the Lord, if you have received forgiveness 
of love by his mercy, if he has blotted out your transgression and allowed you renewal to walk with him fresh, there will, listen to me, there will be people who want to remember you in the middle of your worst moments. They are little people who have not dealt with their own sin issues and they are now projecting that onto you. Because if I can't get over my sin, why will I let you get over yours? And if you get over yours, and if you experience joy, and if God continues to bless you, and I still feel stuck back here in my stuff, then somehow you're creating distance between you and I, and I view you as a threat to my own security. So instead of being gracious and kind and giving people a chance to grow, these people become the peanut gallery of your life. You remember that? I remember that. Ha, ha, ha. You know, Tolly, now? You should have known him a few years ago. Ha, ha, ha. Now, an unrefined Tolly looks back at that crowd and says, you're a petty little human. The refined version says, Lord, bless them. Older uh, church people will, when somebody who's ignorant comes up to them and says something stupid, a wise, elderly, kind church person might grab their cheek and say, bless your heart. <laughs> what they really mean is, you're dumb as a rock. <laughs> Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Meaning like this, this whole world's full with sin. Like I know I'm full. I know I've got sin. It's dumb of me not to tell you, God. It's dumb of me not to come and get this right on a regular basis because I was born into iniquity. Why do I, why do I try to cope? Why do I try to pretend? Why do I try to hide? Why do I try to put everything in the garage? I was born into this. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Not necessarily like my mom was sinning when she, you know, did the duty. But in sin, you guys need to relax a little bit. Have a little more laughter in your life. Watch a few comedy shows. Here. But in sin, did my mother conceive me? Not really like the act. He's saying like in sin, my mother conceived me. Like, like before I was even here, bro. Like I wasn't even in the room. I had nothing to do with this. And I was conceived and there was sin happening before me. So of course I was born into sin. Of course I'm brought into this world. Of course everything around me is sinful. Of course I'm a part of everything that's created. And everything that's created that's fallen is also sinful in need of redemption. So if creation has fallen and is in need of redemption, then I'm a part of creation, then I'm in need of what? Redemption. So it's pretty simple. I was born into this. I need this. So he's coming and he says, Behold, you delight in the truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. True cleansing comes from the inside out. 
you're jotting notes, true cleansing comes from the inside out. True cleansing is not buying new clothes, getting a haircut, washing your face and putting on new makeup. These might all be nice coping mechanisms for you. But never, ever, ever let an outward appearance change. Pretend somehow that that is evidence of a true cleansed heart. This is why I love all of you. And this is why I really don't care about the socioeconomic status of anyone who crossed my path to the degree of wearing nicer clothes doesn't mean you're a nicer person. Driving a more expensive car doesn't mean you're a good steward. Living in a bigger home doesn't mean you're better at hospitality. Are you, are you feeling me on this? Like none of that really matters. What matters is the issue of the heart. And true cleansing doesn't come from the outside. You can, you can get your new haircut. You can wear a nice outfit. You can look fresh to death. But guess what? You could be withering away on the inside because you are stubborn and you won't go to God and get true cleansing for your soul. But the sad thing is, true cleansing is what's needed and it'll help you and bless you It'll give you far more in this life than to be pompous and arrogant and pretend that you have no sin. You'll be freer. You'll be more graceful. You'll be more loving. You will be more compassionate. You will care. And by golly, you'll probably have a few more friends. Spring cleaning. Instead of thinking about it as uh, just picking up stuff around the house. Instead of coping with your sin and pretending it doesn't happen, buying new clothes. How about we just say, you know what? Spring cleaning means I need to look deep inside my own soul. It's easy for me to look at my brother or sister and say, hey, I've been seeing that you, you've, you've got that infomercial thing on your counter now. The last five times I've come to your house, that's, that's a waste of money. By the way, if you do that kind of stuff, you have no tact. Be quiet. But it's easy to point out somebody else's and what they need to clean out. What's more difficult is doing what my wife said and actually cleansing from the inside. Get down into the corners. Scrub the places no one's ever going to see. Wipe down the walls. Do the windows from both sides. Don't just spritz spray over top of the problem, but really do a deep clean of the carpet and clean. And the beautiful thing, there's this process of cleaning that really, really stinks. I got to tell you, if you don't clean your house, it's terrible. Like you just got to work, you know, you get sweaty sometimes, get a little dirty, got to take a shower when you're done. But there's this process of cleansing that's kind of just gets in the way. I don't want to do it. I don't like to do it. I don't feel good when I'm in the middle of it. But here's the beautiful thing. You know, there's not much better than to sit down to a finished clean house and go, 
That's what Jesus wants for your soul. He wants you to be able to get things right with him so that you can go, ah, I am resting in you. I'm abiding in you. There was sin, but you've blotted it out. And my walk with you is pure. And as best as I know right now, I have no sin that needs to be confessed. Ah, this is great. Now be careful. If you're not going to sleep next, you're probably going to do something that means you need to clean again. (laughs) But it's a good place to be. And there's less cleaning to do after you've done a deep clean. All of us need it. And I pray that you'll do it. If you want help in that, shoot me an email. Let's pray.